Hey, folks. It's the uh, stars of the front row. He's Keith. KJ over here. I'm Tom. We use the term stars very loosely, but we do want to thank uh, our sponsor from Seminole Boosters, the uh, Dunlap Champions Club, who is, uh, enables us to bring this podcast to you commercial-free. Hopefully a lot of you sampled uh, the Champions Club last week during the spring game. I hope you did. Uh, 33, 3,400 folks were in there, and uh, hopefully some of you were there and decided, hey, this is a place I could watch a football game from. Speaking of that, uh, Champions Club seating is available for football season. You can enjoy the club year-round with special events like the upcoming uh, draft party, which is uh, April 27th. I think Mean Gene is uh, involved in those festivities that night. Uh, then you have Doke After Dark, which is two days later. Blake Shelton, Jake Owen. Uh, side note, not that this is a reason to go to the Dunlap Champions Club, but uh, m- uh, my wife and I will be there. Okay, good to know. Yeah. You won't be singing, though. No, we won't be singing. And th- then nobody would come. Visit FSUClubSeats.com to learn more about your seating options and schedule a private tour. With that said, here's this week's Front Row. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is the Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Greetings, ladies and gents. The front row is back. KJ. Yes, sir. Good to see you. Good to be seen. A lot to discuss. Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt will join us later on in the program. We can talk baseball. Baseball. Big win. Uh, had it not been, we probably wouldn't be talking baseball. Or maybe we would more. Heard some conversation shift from, is FSU going to make the postseason to what does FSU need to do to host in the postseason? And I thought all that based on holding on by the skin of your teeth on Monday night, which not to discredit that series win, it was a significant series win, but what a difference uh, two runs would have made in that conversation. Without question. And uh, we are a fickle bunch, are we not? I guess we're starting with baseball then. And we'll get to the football rules changes, Virginia Tech on a Monday night, whatever else uh, comes to mind for these uh, two middle-aged men that sit here and do this show weekly speak for yourself i was actually but i didn't know what term oh you were referring to matthew and tom exactly exactly yeah so the old guys here are the ones in front of the mic and Ah. the the middle-aged guys are behind the mic is that Uh, what you're saying uh, well uh, you can go with that so disclosure on baseball first and then we'll break this down so i was out of town for easter weekend i did not watch the saturday or sunday games except via social media Uh, monday night i was at my son, well, I was the same place you were. This is this. This is the difference between us, though. This is your the difference son, between middle age son, and whatever you want to call Keith. And my, my son, grandson. Yes, yes. My son, Keith's grandson, both at Gilchrist on Monday on different te- uh, coach pitch fields. Anyway, so I didn't watch the first half of the Monday night game, but I did watch the last three or four innings of it. So my thought was, A, obviously it's great that they won. The lineup is much better when you have everybody. That's obvious. If they can keep those guys together, they're going to score. I don't feel like we've solved the pitching issues yet. Clearly, we haven't, although if Bird is going to pitch like he did the other night, that helps. Well, I think you're identifying and making progress. If nothing else, you're ruling things out. All right, we're not going to use Holton in this role. We'll use him in one of these others. And we're not going to use this one there. We'll try him in somewhere else. To that point, what I would have liked them to do was to start Carlton on Monday and then pitch Parrish out of the pen. And I have not talked to the baseball brass, and I'm sure that part of the rationale was Parrish hasn't pitched out of the pen. He's been our starter. We don't want to add one more. Well, you were out of town. They couldn't get a hold of you. No, I'm just saying, at some point you need to see what that looks like because at some point to me, this is where we were last week, Carlton needs to get a start, not come in in the middle innings as he did the other night. Now, to be fair, last week I was in favor of the plan Keep them available in relief if it's a winnable game in game one. As it turned out, he threw 40-something pitches, so that probably played into their decision as well. A better scenario would be you either win or lose game one, preferably win, and you don't use him there, and then you can come back and use Carlton to start your Monday game. I was not in favor, though, Friday or Saturday night, I'm going to mix up Friday and Saturday, of going to your closer in a tie game. Because you got him in, he used 40 pitches, and yes, it was winnable, it was tied, you had a tremendous comeback, which is probably part of the thinking, but it was a tie game, not a save situation. Regardless, then you get to Monday, I would have preferred to see them flip-flop, because if you, if you play the season out, at some point, if you're going to advance in regionals, if you're going to advance in super regionals, if you're going to win in Omaha, Holton and Carlton 
are going to have to pitch the predominant amount of innings as we talked about last week. So you need to know what it looks like if another guy's coming out of the pen. And if you're going to use Carlton that way, he's going to need to get some starts and get that get the innings up. The only thing I disagree with you there, and I, and this is way out in left field, but I, I would do away with the reliever role. I wouldn't have a reliever. I'd throw whoever was throwing well, and I'd make sure to get three or four innings every time they come out. I don't hold one guy for, for three outs twice a weekend. Well, and I think they have to have that conversation because if you go there, you have – Holton and Carlton, and you start them Friday and Saturday, whichever way you want to do it, because Sands has been up and down. And they get you seven or eight innings in a perfect scenario, and then you've got to get three or six or nine outs on Friday and Saturday, and you do that. And on Sunday, you have everybody available. Uh, hopefully, nobody's really been overworked on Friday or Saturday, and, and you literally roll six or seven guys out there if need be. And that now, becomes the, that becomes much more important when you get into regional and potentially super regional when you know you're only going to play a limited number of games. Well, and I think the conversation shifts to, and I know you have to win, you have to make the postseason, you have to win regionals, you have to win super regionals. At the end of the day, and I don't think this fits for you and I, but there's a large contingent of FSU fans. I don't know how big that they want a championship or bust. So if you go to Omaha and you go 0-2 or 1-2 or 2-2, but you don't win a title, not enough. the season's a failure. So if you work backwards from Omaha and look at the way this is constructed and where Florida State hasn't helped itself is they have lost one of the first two games and thus gotten in the loser's bracket in Omaha. If you look at the way Omaha is structured, you play Saturday, Monday, or Sunday, Tuesday. So if you, in a scenario, and I know there's a lot of work between here and there, if you pitch Holton on Saturday and win, and you pitch Carlton on Monday and win in Omaha, you now don't play till Thursday. And you could come back with Holton on short rest in that situation, or you go to Sands or Parrish, and if you lose, you still have another chance to get to the championship series with Holton again. So I like the staff if you get there, but they have to figure out, how to get there, and that goes back to what other tweaks do you make for the weekend series to to, to uh, put yourself in position. And then if, if it were a football team, talking the other side of the line of scrimmage, this is the first series, Clemson series, in which your projected starters going into the 17 season actually started and played all three games. What was it, 24 runs uh, over the three games? I didn't do the math, but yeah, sure. Yes. You score 24 runs every three games – Sometimes that'll make up for some of the pitching lapses or lacks that you've had previously. And certainly was encouraging, and it sounds obvious. You could put your full compliment out there that the results are better. But, I mean, you had a guy like Matt Henderson have a good weekend. Uh, Cal Raleigh, you know, swung the stick a little bit better. Dylan Busby's average is creeping up. Uh, you know, if you get Taylor Walls and some of the guys that produced last year to to tick their averages up 30 or 40 points, well, there's a big difference between a guy hitting 240 and 280. I'm voting for hypnosis. A couple of them. Just let's go hypnotize them and make them go back 12 months. They are playing Stetson as we speak. So, obviously, that's a game Florida State needs to win. And then they go to Miami. So, shifting it a little bit bigger picture, Miami has the longest consecutive streak of appearing in NCAA regionals, and FSU's is second. Miami's been 44 straight years. Florida State's been 39 straight years. Miami is further on the outside looking in than what Florida State is right now. Have they hit 500? They're not even 500 yet, are they? uh, They're like right at it. And you have to be 500 when your conference tournament is done even to get a bid. So Miami's in a more precarious situation than Florida State is. It's a down year for the Canes, but that's not to assume Florida State's going to go to Miami against a rival and get a sweep. I mean, Miami needs to have the same objective as last weekend, and that is how do we put the pieces in place to win a series this weekend? And I, I think in light of the start you got last Friday night, you might have to consider moving Holton up. And, and, and do, Miami has adjusted their rotation. They took their Friday night starter who's bombed. They moved him out. They moved their Saturday starter to Friday, their Sunday starter to Saturday. I think Florida State might need to say, we're going to pitch Holton. And and I know they like going righty, lefty, righty is probably part of it. I think it's a, it's a conversation that has to be had. And this is a, a different time. This is not a perfect time. So, therefore, you got to do different things. And that is one thing I've liked about this season. It has not unfolded like most Florida State baseball seasons have. And because of that, the team is playing with more pressure now, which is a different thing. You play with all this pressure for the next month. By the time you get to the postseason, maybe you don't think twice about it. They also have tinkered with the lineup a lot more than they typically have done because the results have not been there. So they're changing, they're changing the process a little bit, if you will. 
We shall see. We shall see. Anyway, it was good to see them beat Clemson two out of three. That is good news. They're not dead yet, and we'll see where they go from here. They do have a big stretch of home games, which helps. I just keep looking at that last series what at Louisville. And if you're right at the bubble going to Louisville to play three, I'd like to be a couple of games ahead of schedule. I would agree with that. And you've got an opportunity because of the home games to be a couple games ahead of schedule at that point based on where you are now. If you went back to the beginning of the season, you wouldn't say it's ahead of schedule, Not at all. but you'd, you'd Not take at all. it. That's going to be a long trek to Louisville, by the way, because the team's going up there and then they're staying for the conference tournament, which is in Louisville this year because HB2. So that's like a 10-day trip to Louisville for the for the Knowles. Which, at the, by the way, uh, all that got reversed. Was it yesterday or Monday? It did. It did. So they've changed that, and now the ACC is open for business again, or North Carolina. North Carolina is, is open for the collegiate a- business. And the ACC uh, is putting championships there. The NCAA is putting championships now, there. I can't wait to that field hockey final. <laughs> um. The ACC spring meetings are in mid-May at Amelia Island, and so the ACC has not formally announced yet that the ACC championship football game is going back to Charlotte. They have contractual deals. They lost a year of that. I presume they will go back to Charlotte and extend however long that deal is by one year. That would be my best guess on what will happen. That's the consensus from, from people I've heard from. I've said this before, and I may be in the minority. I don't know. I'm not opposed to the game being in Charlotte for football. Save for if you got to a model where it was on a home site, a home campus, I don't think there's a better city you're going to do it in consistently. And when I say that, I don't mean a better sister uh, city for FSU to play in, but if you're the league and you want to have some people show up in years that FSU's not there or Clemson, Charlotte's By the way, that uh, postseason home game scenario, I predict is going to be the lead movement when we start serious conversations about going to an 18 playoff instead of a 14 playoff. Okay, this this will segue into our next conversation because this relates to the Monday night opener against Virginia Tech that's been announced and the fact you get five days rest to play the next game, i.e., could you, should you move up the start of the season to incorporate more buys? Does it still work with the playoff scenario you're talking about? We will uh, we'll get to that. I'll save that for our next segment. But uh, I do want to remind you, and I actually uh, ate there yesterday and ate more than I should have at Centralia. It, I, I was going to I mention the, that, but I, had, I didn't want to be rude. Well, I had the Quattro, which is... Uh, that's five of them. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's your Wildwood math right there. Uh, it's the chicken parm sandwich, which is, is really good. I'm just going to leave it at that. But uh, tonight, and it's probably late, but I'll mention this because this is the cool stuff they do. They have a parent-kiddo date night tonight. Free kids meal, free dessert for your kid. Uh, you can't go wrong with that. And, and that's not just at Centrale. That's at Township and Madison Social. Here's the one, uh, Keith. They have a bottle club starting tomorrow at Centrale. Buy five bottles of wine. You get a free bottle from uh, what they call the good section of the menu. Now, do you have to drink them all in one meal? There was no fine print on it, but I would like to presume that if it was just a couple who went in, that A, they wouldn't serve you five bottles of wine, and B, they certainly wouldn't give you another one free at that point. So I don't know if that means that you can spend four different trips there to get to your five bottles of wine, five different trips, or if that means you can have a large party and do it all in one night. I don't know, but go to centraliantalian.com. Maybe they can answer that question for you. We will take a break, come back, and uh, kick around some more of this uh, college football stuff in light of the changes that are coming. We're just getting cranked up here in the front row. The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith. You couldn't tell. that That's become the signature music here on the Front Row. Before we get is back that a to... a guitar or a harp? Before we get back to football... Occurs, Don't answer that. It occurs to me that if you just were, you know, breezing by and you just caught part of it, we actually were having an Omaha conversation related to this baseball team, which is a little out of left field. Literally. We're optimists. We worked backwards on that. So listen to the whole segment in context. I will say, though, and I think I've probably talked about this here, the Block family is going to Omaha this summer with or without the Knowles. Well, tickets went on sale to the general public on Saturday morning. 
So I purchased some tickets, and then the next time I looked up, FSU was losing 10-1 to to Clemson early in that game on Saturday. But they did win the series. Do so. not upgrade your tickets. Yes, exactly. We're, well, there is hope on the LSU side of the family that uh, perhaps there'll be representation. Or it may be eight teams that we have no affinity for, but we're going to be out there anyway. LSU does nothing for me. I don't. Oh, re- you weren't referring to me as part of the family. I won't. Rec- no, I wasn't. You're, you're not invited on this trip. I don't recall the exact ticket price, but just know, and this is just for one game, one transaction, it was a $4 handling fee and a $25 convenience fee. How convenient was that for you? Well, I guess compared to driving to Omaha and visiting the box <laughs> office, pretty darn convenient. But but in general terms, I'm thinking it could be uh, more convenient if it was a little less than $25 without convenience. All right, let's get back to football. Uh, you mentioned, finish your thought about if and when we get to an 18 playoff. And I'll drop the if from there because it is when. Well, exactly. One of the things that gets talked about is – incorporating that into the existing bowl schedule and those types of things. But you brought up, which I think is going to get momentum, making the first game of the three games, if you go to eight teams, you play three games for that playoff, making the first game at the the, the four highest-seeded uh, locales and playing them on campus. Right. Playing them at the home of those entities. That way you don't mess up any more of the bowl schedule and you can play them – on a on a Friday Saturday scenario, basically Heisman weekend, you because everybody's out of out of school, so you don't have those restrictions, and then that parlays back into you know, do you really want to do that? Extending the season, should we start earlier? But you had come up with not to steal your thunder, but uh, obviously it was announced that Florida State will open the eighteen season at home on Monday night, Labor Day night against Virginia Tech. And uh, part of the reason that coaches don't like those Monday night games is depending on where you are in the calendar, you would play that next game with five days rest. But as you've done the research, there's certain years where there's essentially a double buy available because of the way the calendar works. And maybe you work more of your Florida State and you have the ability to say so. You work more towards we only want to play on Monday night, Labor Day night on these given years and go ahead and try to schedule that. This is exactly where I think Florida State should be proactive, progressive, and take the argument with the ACC. So back up a little bit. Let's If you haven't paid attention to this, so FSU will open at home against Virginia Tech next year. They moved a Samford non-conference uh, game to five days later on that Saturday. There will be one bye week over the course of the year. And Florida State is also at home on September 22nd. So that's three of the first four weeks of the season you're at home in 2018, which means that in week three, your two options are to request your buy or you're going to be on the road in conference just as you were last year, perhaps against Louisville again, because in 2018, it'll be the same cast of road opponents. The same exact folks that Florida State played on the road last year is who the options would be then. And so you have a scenario where the ACC could say, you're going to open with, or you're going to play, it won't be an opener because they would have played Virginia but Tech. But your first conference game. Well, no, because you would well, play Virginia Tech. I'm sorry, Virginia first, Tech. Your first, that's an outlier. You could play a third game in 12 days, and it could be against Louisville in 2018, just like it was in 2016. And, and your now, second conference opponent. Yes. Now, I'm going to suggest that the league won't do that. But if you look at the other options, it's going to be at Syracuse. It's going to be at Miami. And where else did we go last year? At Louisville. Help me out here. Who else did FSU play on the road last year? NC State? Yes, we were yes. in NC State. Yes. So that's, that's going to be your, your, your first road game of the year, unless you say, you know what? We don't like to do it, but we'll take our bye week there. And then we'll play 10 straight weeks. But if you do that, then you end up at the end of 2018 going at Notre Dame on November 10th, conference opponent November 17th, home or away, and then Florida on November 30th or whatever the date is. I looked at the wrong year, November 24th that year. So there's not a perfect scenario. And Florida State fans are going to struggle with it. To your point that you brought out, it has to do with the number of Saturdays basically between September 1st and the first weekend in December. And and some years you have 13 weeks to play 12 games, and some you have 14. So the years that you have uh, 14 are 2019, 2024, 2025, and 2030. So those are double-by years right now. 
So if you look at Florida State's schedule, and I know this is way out, but in 2024, FSU plays at Notre Dame. Well, I would just – I mean, ESPN will dictate that that will be a Monday night opener anyway. But if I'm FSU, I'm telling them right now – We want it. We want Notre Dame Labor Day of 24 because we got two bye weeks that year. Now, there's, a, there's another way you could go on this, and I don't know that FSU has done this, but if the college football season, if you think of Labor Day weekend and you back it up from Saturday to Thursday – that's actually the main opening night for college football. There's some games the week before, but they're sort of technicalities, like Stanford and Rice are playing in Australia, or if it's Hawaii. Ireland. Or if you're making a trip to Hawaii, you might be able to play a game earlier. By the way, you know, Hawaii gets an extra game every year, I believe. Well, that's that's where there's, there's asterisks all over the place. And, and by the way, if I was talented enough to get five official visits one would always be to hawaii i mean right shouldn't every student athlete take that no the monday night labor day thing it's an acc exclusive window the thursday night opening of college football is not an acc window exclusively but acc teams have played on that night before and if i'm fsu i would i would offer everything and it it would be a road game but i would work hard to say we'll open on thursday night college football season because then instead of getting two days fewer rest you get two days more rest between your first and second games it's still going to do a big tv number for espn not what labor day night's going to do but you're you're offering your services if you will to help the conference tv package and tv revenue if you do that so those are the two things i would do if i was fsu lobby for thursday night volunteer to play labor day night every year you get a double buy that said there is a movement to start the college football season earlier or let regular season's games be played a week later. It hasn't gone very far yet, but to your point, I don't think going later makes sense because if you try to expand to eight teams in the playoff, it really condenses December. Well, I I disagree with you. I think if I had to vote right now, and I haven't thought it through, I would go for the season going a a week later because that reduces my downtime between a bowl game. You don't have those 25- and 30-day layoffs. What it also does that's a tough sell, though, is it puts you into playing competition during exam week for all the universities, which is – you can say what you want about it. It's a tough sell from I the think, optics. and I from you the, better look at that because I think the exam week is the week after that weekend for the majority of universities. In other words, you're taking exams the, the, the 4th I'm through just the 8th or the, or the 5th through the 9th of December. More universities take them later than that. But either way, there's not a uniform point. But I would prefer later in the year as opposed to earlier. So the flip side, if you move it up a week, and uh, FAMU plays a week early this year, I think University of South Florida does, what you're doing then, really the argument against is now you're starting fall camp in July instead of August. Well, not only that, the potential you might play a home game with no kids here. I did that. I played two home games one year when when we were on the quarter system, and there were no kids here, no students. So it's like playing. Ask the men's basketball team about that. They've got a couple games every year. The ACC is going to 20 conference games. You can yep. guarantee that one of them will be December 27th at home with no students here. I don't have the answer to that. I'm just saying that right now you've got certain seasons. What is that? Four out of the next 12 where you can get a double bye. And until they change the rule, that's what you're dealt with. Now, so the question becomes, could FSU turn down the Monday night game or the Monday night stage? And I think the answer is no. I don't – I mean, I think if they really wanted to kick and scream about it, maybe they could say no, but the conference is doing the scheduling yeah. and saying – I would tell you that, again, without having thought it – think it through, the, about the only justifiable scenario where you feel like you're high enough on the perch to turn that down is if by chance you won the national championship the year before and you're, you're king of the hill and you can you can spout a little more about what you do and don't want to do um, – other than that, you're, you're a little bit at the mercy of, of what you're being asked. Well, and the reality is Florida State is a bigger TV draw than most of the comp- – probably than the rest of the conference. Miami, when it's going good, does similar TV numbers. Clemson doesn't have the national brand yet, although the last They're two working years on certainly it. They're helped. working on it. Florida State's got about a 30-year head start on that with Bobby Bowden, so they're, they're going to do a bigger TV number. So if you want to monetize your TV rights as best you can, Florida State's going to have to do more than its equal share, and that's just the reality. So if you're FSU and you took a stand and said no, you're really shooting yourself in the foot because now you're not going to generate as much television revenue across the board, and, and that's where the options lie. comes down to money sometimes, doesn't it? It always comes down to money on that. Uh, I just My initial reaction when I saw Virginia Tech FSU Monday night, I thought that's a great scenario. Then as you examine it, 
it's going to be a really tough tough sledding in 2018. Let me tell you one other thing because, about Virginia Tech, and, and this has been the case for almost 40 years because we played them, I don't know, two of the four, three of the four years I was playing. Uh, you get the snot beat out of you when you play Virginia Tech. That will be as physical a football game as Florida State will play in any game, home or away, in the 2018 season. And I can hear Jimbo now rightfully saying, you know, we're going to get beat up and now we're playing five days later. That's not fair. Uh, but that's the reality. And uh, it's just been that way forever with Virginia Tech. They are a tough, hard-nosed bunch of kids to play against. And people aren't thinking about it right now. And I just made the argument or the point as to why you have to play this this Labor Day game, and it's a huge stage. Think of the think of the opera. You know that was Jameis Winston's debut. You had what Francois did last year against Ole Miss. I mean, there's been some memorable. Now, when FSU and Miami first started playing it, those games were duds. But of late, there've been some pretty memorable games. So it, it's a huge opportunity. But if you think back to what happened last year in that 12 day stretch, so FSU needed a miracle to beat Ole Miss. They played five days later and lost Derwin James to injury in that game on five days rest. I'm not – probably not related, but that's the game that happened. Not related, but factual. And then a week later, they got embarrassed by Louisville playing game three in 12 days on the road, which is what they're going to be asked to do next year unless they say we need our bye week right there so that we can get better and then we're just going to go 10 weeks, maybe 11, into the ACC championship game. That's the decision they're going to have to make. I hear you. All right, our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, uh, he's, he's a hard man to reach, and our people have been trying to connect with his people. I'm not sure if we've had success. His people are being obstinate. So we're going to take this break and hope that somehow we've made it through the several layers of uh, security and and Did and you contest. sign the release? I didn't sign the release. Well, I better sign the release. Let's just hope his cell phone works this week, all right? Tim Linnefelt joins us next, or maybe two segments, at some point as we continue on the front row. Front Row is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Back on the Front Row, Tom and Keith with you. Unfortunately, our folks have failed to connect with our Seminoles.com insider. But we're going to give it another shot, another try. I'm not sure. Is he getting his la- his new suit tailored, or is he getting a mani-pedi right now? What's going on with him? I, if they're working on the toes, that could be a while. Well, we'll see. Hopefully, he, he, we do find him in time for our next segment. It gives us a chance, though, to talk about the rules changes that, uh, that are out there uh, from the NCAA and likely to be adopted pretty close to in full. Uh, the first one, and I just, I'm going to cede the floor to you as a guy who had to toil and sweat without water breaks, uphill both ways, all four practices during the day. In your day, they have officially banned two a days. Well, it, it was interesting because the last couple of years, uh, you'd hear kids talk about going into two a days at Florida State and you I was the guy out 90 east at Hawks Landing screaming at the top of my lungs going it's fall camp it's fall camp it's not two a days because the last couple years Jimbo has only gone two maybe three sessions where they've had uh, two practices in a single day and again for for context and 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 there's you can look it up it's fact we practiced 26 24 times in 13 days, every, all four years for my fall camp. We were two-a-days for six days, took a Sunday off, two-a-days for six more days. So however that adds up. And it was horrible. And part of the reason that it is good that they're doing away with it, Tommy, yeah, you build some toughness and you build some camaraderie uh, and you build players learning to hate coaches <laughs> <laughs> but what you don't build is the ability to think because about the fourth day of the fourth the first week for those next eight days you're just going through the motions you know if Jimbo were to run out there during my time on the Thursday of the first week and say all right we're going four minute drill 
we would be all excited because we thought periods went from five five minutes to four minutes. We'd have no idea what we were doing. So uh, facetiously, yes, a little bit, but I think it's real smart because the game is much more mental and intellectual, and, and you're really just not accomplishing a whole lot when you're just going out there going through the motions. To that point, and we don't have to go too far down this rabbit hole, I did see somebody who's a high school coach point out that uh, he wished that rather than cutting it to just one three-hour period, you could do two 90-minute periods instead if you wanted to because at some point you're mentally exhausted. You're shaking your head. No, let's just do it all at once. Let's just do it all at once. You can still do a walkthrough later on that day. Well, I guess you could probably do a 21-hour walkthrough after your three hours in pads because you're not in school yet. Let's move on to the important stuff. The important stuff. So the important stuff, a 10th assistant coach is coming. No question, and the argument has been made, and justifiably so, that of all the major uh, sports, men or women, the ratio of player to full-time coach is much higher in football than any of the other sports. Uh, The other thing that it does, and and coaches will – I don't know that they'll all commit to it or say this, but the other thing it does, if I'm Jimbo, is I take that special teams moniker and I give that to the 10th coach – as it is now, you've got nine coaches, and one of those coaches has to serve as the special teams coordinator. I make the 10th coach the special teams coordinator, and I think a lot of our listeners would agree that Florida State really needs some attention to their special team. They do. And, they and, do. And that, that's, that would be how I would handle it. And that'll be for Jimbo to decide. Another way to do it would be to have a, a corners coach and a safeties coach or split up another segment, but I don't disagree that, uh, A, the special teams do need more attention. They need to be better than what they've been of late at FSU. And, two, that would be a good way to attack it. So that'll be after this coming season. So literally, right, the the week, probably the day after the championship game in 2018. Damian Craig will get promoted to the 10th coach. I don't know if it'll be Damian, though. I I don't either, but I'm, I'm just I, saying Some that. people surmise that. I, I think you you need a special teams coach or you need more help on the defensive side of the ball. If Jimbo was a defensive-minded coach, then maybe it would make more sense. Well, for yeah, but insiders might tell you also that Damian could move into another role and whoever that role could go to the special team Right, role. right, yeah, you could. So you could make some changes that way. We can't solve that here. All right, the there's an early signing period now. You know what? I didn't think about this. You know I have not talked about This is not new. What's not? A 10th coach? No, the early signing period. Okay. When I was being recruited, you could sign a conference letter of intent the day after your last high school football game. And that was uh, a conference letter where all the other conferences, schools in that conference, knew to leave you alone. You could only be recruited by other schools outside of the conference. So this is not a new idea. Well, now we have the verbal commitment, Keith. As soon as you verbally commit, every other school leaves you alone. They don't bother you at all. Uh, Two words. The first (laughs) one starts with B. Uh, But my point is, it's now a nationalized ability to do something. And for folks that are wondering, why did they pick whatever the second week of December is? No, they picked December 1st. Is it December? That's the same period that junior college kids can sign. Is it? It's the same period because a junior college kid could take extra courses and be done in a year and a half, sign in December, enroll in January. Maybe they didn't pick December 1st. I heard somebody say that. December 1st as a date doesn't make a lot of sense because it's between the last week of the regular season and the conference championship game. Yeah, I don't think it's December 1st. I, I think it's the that would, it would second make, Tuesday of December. It would make more sense if it was something. a week later. But anyway, the point is that that's a good start uh, and depending on how far you want to go with this, but that's not the ultimate answer. The ultimate answer is an early signing period in August – before the senior season begins for these kids. And that would mirror, by the way, the same thing that's done in basketball. And that would also reinforce another area that we had time to get into is the official visits being able to be taken between April and June of your junior year. Which is what's currently proposed but doesn't make a lot of sense because if you think of what the norm has been, you're taking your official visits in January, signing in February. Now you can sign in December, but your official visit window is way back in, in – I mean, you can take it later, but you could go in April, May, or June. So it would make more sense to have the official visit window – what's proposed currently, April to June, yeah, but, but then turn around and sign The official in visit in January was stupid anyway. I would do away with official visits other than during home football games. 
Because if you go to your official well, visit, don't you want to see what the stadium's going to look like and what people in it and how the game goes? But you just you just countered your own argument because if you get to an August signing date and you're only t- so you take your official visit in your junior year, no, you'd never go. But there are certain kids right. that that would appeal to. Right. Um, I do agree with you that a moving it to December is better than not having an early signing period. B, it'd be better to move it up to August and get it. If you're trying to relieve pressure of your senior year and enjoy your senior year, your senior year yeah. football season's over. By now, December. here's the one argument that has come up that, that also comes into play, which is another pet peeve of mine. If I sign in I December, wish you guys could see the veins popping out of his forehead right now. Well, he's, he's fired up on well, this. Well, I've, I've been serious about this crap for 35 years. We finally – it took 30 years to the, get to the full cost of attendance. I've been on that horse since about – now that horse, you should see the look on the horse's my, face. That yeah. horse has had a tough ride. Exactly. <laughs> if, I, if I do have that December signing period, or if it goes back to an August signing period, when do coaches get fired? Uh, whenever the last game of their regular season was, about four days before that is when word leaks out. Well, <laughs> or immediately after the bowl game. Okay? I think we got to give these kids – I don't know how to structure it. I don't know how to structure it, and I'm sensitive to the fact that you're supposed to sign with an institution. You're not supposed to sign for the coach. Reality is the exact opposite, but that's the party line. If I sign in December and my coach gets fired in January, do I have the option to rescind and go back into the pool? Well, and, and, think, and, and that's another topic for another day, but it's another topic that's going to have to be addressed. That sort of becomes like our, our current tax code, like how many things do you want to put in there? Because then I think the counter to that would be, well, we signed a kid and now he just needs three ligaments repaired because he got hurt in September. Are we still going to honor that or does it not, not, not count against the, our limit? There are a, a bunch of things there. By the way, One, the limit, by the limit. Everybody's talking hold that, about hold that. the limit. We'll get, we'll get to the limit. Here's the other point. If you're going to talk about freedom when coaches are fired, I'm going to use Damian Craig as an example here, but there are lots of schools that have done this. Do you know when Damian Craig was let go at LSU this year that enabled him to be free to come back to FSU? Oh, it was like three days after it signing It was the period. day after signing day. So yeah. he recruited several key players. They signed their letters of intent, and the next day they fired a couple of staffers. And that's not on LSU. That's just the way business is done in college football. That one needs to be an asterisk, too. If I signed on Wednesday because Damien recruited me and on Thursday he's not there, I'm a little annoyed. Exactly. And that's why I'm saying that that whole issue is going to be postponed for now, but is going to have to be addressed sometime moving forward. Okay, you mentioned the limits. It's now 25. And and a lot of people... Meaning were, you can't sign 34 kids every signing day. Right. And a lot of folks were talking about it was done to keep from oversigning. It was keeping uh, kid, you know, universities from having to move some kids to what we call gray shirting, which means instead of them enrolling... Or in, running kids off. You know, or, you know, the, the reality of that, though, is twofold. Number one, that 25 per year is a hard number now. Prior, you know, if you had... 28 kids leave you could sign 28 but but it had to be it was supposed to be a one for one right because you redshirted a bunch of guys or six of your kids came out as juniors etc etc well now it's a hard and fast 25 and the problem is if you work certain scenarios there's going to be situations florida state included where you need more bodies than you that. need more bodies than that yeah. you can't sign the 25 well, and that goes to something and then that's, you're going to end up with 78 kids on scholarship any one year when you can have as many as 85 and that's going to open up a reverse problem in my opinion well and that's when jimbo will beat the drum louder that there should be 90 or 95 and I, I didn't necessarily agree with him you know five or six years ago when he started sounding that alarm uh, but now that you've got obviously the 12th game, you got the championship game, you got the potential for two games if you're a playoff contender. Um, there is legitimacy to saying that 85 limitation needs to be looked at. Because let's remember a couple of things. Prior to the early 70s, there was no limitation. Uh, I told somebody the other day, Mickey Andrews spoke at the, the function that you and I went to for Coach Bowden a couple of weeks ago, and there were 43 kids in Mickey Andrews' signing class as a freshman at the University of Alabama, and only 11 of them made it. And only one of them wore Forrest Gump's number. That's true. If, if you're going to go to that hard number, okay, then we've got to expand because prior to 72, 73, it was unlimited. During the time that I played, it was 105. 
You could have 105 on scholarship. We didn't have a 12th game. We didn't have a championship game. And there were a lot less bowl games. And there was only one bowl game. And in 78, we didn't even go to one. We were eight and three and didn't go. So there is legitimate, rational thought that they got to look at the 85 and get that somewhere to 90 or 95. And then, again, a, a story for another day. Couple that with how we do the red shirt. All right. So good news to report. Our folks, uh, I think they had to call in a private investigator, special forces. Maybe the Navy SEALs got involved. Was there a satellite phone? We have tracked down our Seminoles.com insider. Do Tim we have GPS out. coordinates? Because and we need to ask Tim, uh, the one biggest thing that's a little contentious that we haven't discussed yet is the fact that there, part of this legislation is that you can't hire somebody associated with a recruit two years before, two years after, to a support staff position. And that's maybe the biggest thing that's getting the most. And by the way, I didn't know this. Don't know whether you knew this or not. But that's been the rule for several years in basketball. That's not a new rule either. Yeah, that's been around in basketball, which is probably, quite frankly, where that practice, I was going to say tradition, where that practice began. We'll come back with Tim Linnefelt right after this. The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on the front row, we're in segment four. It's appropriate. This is the cleanup spot, and we have tracked down our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. Hope he doesn't whiff. Who joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Hey, Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, Tom. How about you? Good, good. I hope you didn't listen to the first part of the show because your name came up a time or two or three. Uh, we'll, oh, just, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, we've been talking about the uh, football legislation that's, that's moving forward. I mean, there's still some hurdles to clear. It's not officially official yet. But one thing we haven't broken down in this is, is probably the most contentious thing out there, and that's this uh, part of the package is that you can no longer hire a high school coach or somebody associated with a recruit either two years prior to the recruitment or two years down the road to a support staff position. And you can't hire those coaches to work your summer camps. And the reason college coaches are upset about that is because the high school coaches are the ones who transport the top recruits to the camps every summer. So, you know, what's your, what's your thoughts as we digest? You can still hire somebody, I should point out, to be an on-field coach. So you can take high school coach at School X and you can make them your offensive coordinator. Uh, and you can sign his quarterback all in one smooth transaction if that if that kid means that much to you or you think that coach is that brilliant in offensive mind. Yeah, it just seems to me, I, I have big picture thoughts more than, than, than small picture thoughts, if that's allowed. You know, it's, the NCAA has a really hard time, and, and I think it's only going to get harder moving forward as far as legislating a level playing field. You know what I mean? Making sure... That, uh, that everybody's sort of on equal footing. Uh, and that's been a big topic of discussion, obviously, in, uh, in recent years with the, the number of support staff. And everybody likes to, you know, poke and make fun of Alabama for having all the staff that they do. Uh, but they can, you know, they can afford it and they can, uh, they, you know, they can hire by the rules as many people as they want. Uh, and so to me, this is kind of just an offshoot of that. I mean, it's, it's meant to be, uh, I, that, you know, to, to equalize the, the playing field and recruiting a little bit and say, you know, you can't just, you know, paint with these big, broad brushes. And, you know, when you want a kid, just go out and hire his coach for, for whatever reason uh, and, and get an advantage that way. So they're trying to take away advantages in recruiting, which I, I think is, is a good thing in and of itself. But I, I don't know. Where does it stop? Well, I can tell you where it stops. This time next year, we're going to be talking about a maximum number of personnel that can be on your support staff. Bob, and Alabama's not going to be able to do what they've been doing. Bob Bowlesby's already indicated that that's where this is headed, that they're going to, just like now we're going to have 10 on-field assistants, you're going to have a max number of support staff. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about that necessarily. I mean, I guess it's fine. Um, it just seems kind of, I don't know, it seems odd to me. But I, I think the, the, the max uh, of, of on-field assistance is, is weird to, to me, too. It's like, why? It just seems sort of like a, a, an arbitrary number. I mean, I guess 10 is a nice round number. But, well, what number uh, would you have? I, I wouldn't have any if it were me. <laughs> you know, I mean, at least uh, none off the top of my head. Uh, I don't know. It's, so you'd it's let Alabama have. have 37 assistant coaches? 
Well, I would let whoever whoever wants to have as many assistant coaches. You know, you know what I mean. And it's not even necessarily that that I, I want to see Alabama do whatever they want. It's just what what is the good? Is there a reason for it other than just trying to level the playing field? Well, then let's go back to no scholarship limitations and let's let well, Alabama sign sixty kids a year. Well, they, you know, there, there's something else there too. Now, granted, the the landscape is a little different now than it was back then. Uh, but I, I think most coaches, Jimbo Fisher, absolutely has been outspoken on this. Want to see at least an increase in the scholarship limits, well, and I, he makes a pretty compelling case. I think what we're what we're arguing between here is the merits of free market. I, I can open up my business on corner A, B, and C if I want to, and too bad if you don't have the funds to do the same. Versus competitive balance, which is what you have in professional sports. Now, this isn't professional sports, but who are we kidding? If the NFL would spend some of its money and actually fund minor league football they wouldn't be leaning on colleges this way but to elaborate on that for example if you look at nfl scheduling you know there's a whole formula on who you play and how many times you can be on the sunday night prime time and when your camps are and so we don't hear this kind of bickering about what the schedule and what people don't understand in the nfl is the super bowl champion theoretically plays the toughest schedule the next year right and and that's the issue that that I know Tim understands, and I'm a free market guy myself. But what's great about college football right now is the parity. The only way you get parity is to restrict the capital markets. That's the only way yeah. you get parity. Well, and if and if you were to restrict the number of support staff, uh, then at some point the question becomes: Is there going to be a salary cap for your coaching staff pool? I know we think about that on players because the next the next step, coaches are all already making exorbitant money, but now Alabama can say, all right, you cut 42 of our support staff positions, so now our defensive coordinator is going to make $6 million a year, and our offense coordinator is going to make seven. So t- and they're going to get the best defensive coordinator. So it's going to keep going that way. But I do think – I'm with Keith on this. In the name of parity, there has to be some parameters. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. But, you know, to that degree, I mean, maybe if you want to do it more so – uh, than, than you have been. But, you know, you're still seeing the same teams pop up in the college football playoff, the same teams. And now there's some variation, but the same, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight programs are near the top every year. And you're, you know, not very surprised when you see Alabama and Clemson. We just had a rematch in the national championship game. Yeah, but here's uh, the difference, Tim. Here's the difference. Those five or six teams were different five years ago. And those five or six teams were different 10 years ago. And those five or six teams were different 15 years ago. We're just in cycles. We're not getting parity year to year to year, but we're getting cycles. Teams are cycling up. Teams are cycling down. You wouldn't have any of that if you didn't have some legislative tr- attempt to have a level playing field. Uh, that's that's fine. And, I, and I, again, I, I mean, I I don't know. I like the idea. I just think where where does like I said earlier, where do you where does that thread stop? Where do you where where do you get to the point where you say, all right, we've done it, now let's move on with our lives? Well, it doesn't, or we wouldn't have anything to talk about on the front row. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, and you, well, let me ask you. I mean, what in your ideal world, what what would it look like? In my world, I'd, I'd take the scholarships to ninety or ninety five. Uh, I have no problem with the ten uh, on the field assistants. I'd limit it to to ten off the field. Uh, I'm one that would put a cap, uh, some type of uh, ratio on a head coach and assistant coaches. In other words, if the head coach was making X, the pool of money for the assistant coaches could even be no more than sixty or seventy percent of X, or you know whatever the ratio is, and and then and then I would let those things regulate for three or four or five years, and then I'd revisit them again. Uh, you know, I, I'm not for all of the sour cream or or cream cheese can go on a bagel, but peanut butter can't. I'm not. I'm not going to that extent in terms of the the regulations, but I do think that there's some issues out there uh, that uh, be, just be, just because Alabama can, just because Florida State can, doesn't mean that they ought to be able to. So there you have it, and uh, I'm not sure where we go next, Tim. Uh, no, I, I. The funny thing is, I don't actually disagree with you, uh, especially when it comes to the competitive balance. I just think that. I don't know, like you said, as far as, as free market and things like that go, I mean, you're already in a situation, and I know Jimbo has talked about this, where not everybody, obviously you can't play the same schedule, but not everybody even plays the same amount of games. Not everybody plays a conference championship game. Uh, you know, these are all things that, I mean, they, they make a difference. And so, well, when I don't I'm know, king, just, I'll fix that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine. Uh, I, I don't know. It just, it just seems weird to me, that's all. Hey, Tim, we, I don't have a full-fledged uh, edition of Rapid Fire 
available, but I did want to at least put this one on the record now on uh, whatever today's date is, April 19th. The FSU-Alabama game will or will not be played in the new stadium in Atlanta. Oh, gosh, I hope so. No, it will. It will. It will. But will the, April, roof, will the roof be closed you, you know or why? will the roof be open because they, didn't, they hadn't completed it yet? I think the, uh, the roof will be open because <laughs> it will be a nice, uh, delightful, sunny evening. All right, so it will be in the new stadium. The roof will be. Will FSU win the game? Well, what, what else are we? <laughs> I mean, is there something else? Are we playing? Will they the win the stadium? On... What is... the game? The game against the University of Alabama. That's the one you're asking about. Yes, that's the game. The game that oh, will be played God. in said stadium that may or may not be open. Man, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't. I don't know enough about Alabama yet. You know what, folks? This is a perfect opportunity to point out that for Tim's prediction on that game, you can go to Seminoles.com. On what? Maybe a week before the game? Here, 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 when, when, not, what do you want your deadline to be? Like the day before the game will you make a pick? Can I get a couple weeks of fall camp at least? We'll give you a couple weeks of fall See, camp. See, he called it the right thing. He didn't call it two a days. He called it fall camp. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tim. Thank you very much. You got it, Phil. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Uh, I'll remind you that if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener to get all your power tool needs. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue, 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or visit them online at ctf.nu. We might need some of those power tools to navigate... uh, and we're, legislate we're, we're, we're going to talking about we're going to need some fasteners to put this show back together <laughs> <laughs> fortunately for all involved there's only one short segment to go and we'll do it on the other side of this break The Front Row is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. I do want to go back to this stadium situation in Atlanta as we wrap up, Keith. Well, it's not a problem. They've delayed the demolition of the old one it's available if we need it no but the bigger point was and i know there is an answer to this but we're not talking about the stadium itself we're talking about the roof football generally is played outside is it not if the roof is not working could we not still play the game I, I, I think the issue is the, the issue age is, old occupant, uh, certificate of occupancy. And that they'd have to probably move 4 million trucks and machines around to play a game and lose time on it. But Who I just, it's it just kind of funny that when we think about that. But, but they've, they've postponed the demolition of the old stadium, and by gosh, it's there and available if we need it. Ever since you mentioned earlier in this show that when you're king, you're going to fix it. I've had this mental image in my mind. Where does a king typically sit? I'm going to say something that I'm sure is going to be turned against me real quick, but on a throne. Right. And folks, with that image in mind, Keith Jones on the throne. We'll talk to you again next week on the front row. 